Don't you love good trends? No? Nobody does? Like, yeah, come. I saw a good trend this week, and I hope it's true. You know, you never know with uh, anything related to COVID, but uh, there's this website called COVID Estim, like estimate, covidestim.org, and it tracks all the states. It just shows each state in a graph, and it's the whole length of time that COVID's been with us, and it shows where the rise and the fall in the infection rate's been with every single state in the union. And uh, then they plot out, they give it a number at the end, and that number, if it's below 100, means that the trend is good. The trend is going down in that particular state. And it's really cool. I recommend that to you to go look at that because for the most part, except the further north you go, the worse it gets, and that's just a cyclical kind of thing probably. But, you know, for most of the states in the lower 48, the number has dropped below that threshold, and it means that things are going in a good way. How about that? And, yeah, I'm... And I know, you're like, I know somebody that's got COVID. I do too, so we're not out of the woods, but it's a good trend. There are trends we ought to expect in the Christian life. There are trends we should expect in us. Now, admittedly, we're looking at Paul, and uh, Paul, uh, or Saul, very different kind of guy. But here we have his conversion account. In fact, we saw his conversion last week. He's been converted. He's come to faith. He's been baptized. He's been filled with the Holy Spirit. And where did we leave him last time? Which was confusing because we kind of backed up a little and kind of right in the, felt right in the middle of a thought there. But if you'll recall where we left him, he was in Damascus, Damascus, Syria, with the very church that he had gone to, uh, to persecute. There he uh, is in their fellowship. And you're going to see five trends in Paul's life. Now, it's dangerous to compare yourself to the Apostle Paul. And none of you are apostles. I'm going to just say that. So just accept that and like it, whether you like it or not. We're not apostles. We're not living in the first generation of the Christian church in those days. And yet, I do not think it is a stretch to say that the five trends that we recognize in Paul's life are trends that we ought to expect in the life of a genuine believer. So if you confess Christ as Lord, if you believe in Christ, then I would invite you with me to kind of look at this laundry list and see if it, if it fits, if you're tracking. And if not, we'll talk about what we ought to do about that. But the first trend is you will want fellowship. You will want Fellowship. Look at Saul after conversion there. He's in there at Damascus, like we just said. It reminds me of that cartoon. Was it Finding Nemo or was it Shark Tale where you've got the, 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 uh, the, the sharks that are supposed to be in recovery from being meat eaters? And where they're going, you know, fish are friends, not food. You know that one? And that's kind of, doesn't it feel like that's Saul? Don't, all of these guppies or, you know, guppy disciples are sitting around looking at this guy going, you know, is he, is he really, is he really who he says he is or is he going to swallow his whole any minute now? Um, if we skip down to verse 23 and 24, we find out that there's a, a plot launched to kill Saul and, and who comes to his rescue? It's, it's the disciples, isn't it? I mean, they're, they're the ones looking out for him. Look at verse 25. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Now, right away you realize that some stuff has happened. For instance, I, I don't stumble here, but it says, but his disciples. Who were his disciples? Well, I think that three-year time period that Paul talks about in Galatians is probably 
happened, and Luke has compressed the narrative where it feels like it's just, you know, like a week or a day later, and it's probably that three-year time period, but he, or even more, but his disciples, you know, he is integrally related to the Christian church at this point. He is a disciple among disciples, and he's even made disciples. He needed fellowship. He sought fellowship at every turn. Look what happens when he goes to Jerusalem. Uh, Paul goes to Jerusalem, and the first order of business is he wants to connect there with the disciples in Jerusalem. He understands it. He gets it. You know, Christians who are in places where being a Christian is dangerous, they understand. Why do you think that is? If you can be murdered for being a Christian, if people are going to make your life miserable for being a Christian, isn't it, isn't it interesting that then all of it, it's like we just understand. Only in a place like the U.S. where we have the First Amendment, do we have the, and I'm going to put it in you know, air quotes, do we have the luxury of not needing the church? That's a luxury we don't, we can't really afford to have that luxury. The apostles are not too sure about this guy. It says, and when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. There's that need for fellowship, that need for connection. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. Oh, what's poor Paul going to do? Paul, a.k.a. Saul. What's he going to do? He's needing fellowship. He wants to be recognized as part of the church. Well, he needs another fellow Christian. And God supplies Barnabas. Do you remember Barnabas? How many remember Barnabas from early on? At the time when we saw him, I made mention of the fact that Luke had that habit throughout the book of Acts. He has this habit of dropping a name and kind of giving us a little tiny snippet about who the person is in order that when we get back to him, we'll, we'll go, oh yeah, that was that guy. Well, his name was Joseph. He was a Levite from Cyprus, if you'll recall. And uh, they called him Barnabas because in Hebrew or in Aramaic, it meant son of encouragement. And he fulfills his nickname here. As we will see throughout the book of Acts, we'll see that Barnabas really fits that, that nickname. He comes alongside, and it says, But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. And this causes everyone within the church to, uh, at Jerusalem to see and recognize and understand that, yes, Saul has really changed. He really is a believer. And what we see there is that fellowship works, doesn't it? Even to the extent that later, when, uh, when there's a plot to kill um, Paul, that, that they will come to his aid and make sure that he survives. In Paul, this trend of fellowship is unmistakable. Why would a believer, and this goes to that trend question, and I said we should, we should self-examine here, why would a genuine believer in Jesus Christ ever willingly avoid fellowship? It's a trend that we ought to see in the life of a believer. We need the love. We need the support. We need the encouragement, the edification, the mutual protection. We, we need that sense of that union in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the sharing in that. We need the confirmation. You know, you talk about having assurance of salvation. Part of where the assurance of salvation happens for us is when we're in the fellowship of believers and people recognize us as being in union in the faith. We need believers. The trend should be there that we need fellowship. Well, have I offended everyone now? 
Secondly, you will profess boldly. Paul's like a bobsled in the Olympics, you know, the Winter Olympics. You see these guys, you know, they just, they just hit that icy stretch as hard and as fast as they can, and then it's, you know, high rate of speed really quickly. And that's, that's what you see here. And I get why he was ready quicker than some of us. He's, first of all, Paul was one of those rare, really brilliant people that God uses, because God often uses the foolish things of the world, as Paul himself says. But, but, I mean, he was a brilliant man, and he'd been interrogating Christians. Think about that. How did he know half of what he knew? Because <laughs> he kept interrogating prisoners, and they would tell him, and they would profess faith in Christ, and they would tell him who Christ Jesus was, and he, he, went, he kind of went in one ear and probably not completely out the other. You couple that with the fact that he grew up steeped in the scriptures. He was a, a, a Pharisee. He grew up under Gamaliel and the teaching of the Old Testament. You put all of that together with the fact that he actually saw Jesus, who communicated with him, Right? Even, even between the time that, that he was blinded and the time he received his sight, which was how long, boys and girls? Three days, yeah. In that three days, we know that, that Paul had all, I mean, Christ had already come to Paul and shown him what it was he was going to suffer for, for him and that he'd seen a man named Ananias. So, so there's all this direct, immediate revelation that Christ himself shared with him. It says in 920, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. He didn't even pass go and collect $200. He went right from being a persecutor of the church, gets his sight back, immediately he's already going into enemy territory. What used to be friendly territory, he'd gone there, gone to Damascus to go to the synagogues, to the synagogue leaders and so forth and say, here, hand me over your Christians. Now he goes right into that same territory and he's proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God. That's high Christology. We don't use the word Christology a lot. That's a theological term. It means what you think about Christ, how you see him. And already Paul's like, yeah, he's the son of God. Can you imagine that? A Pharisee. This guy's the son of God. Uh, look a few verses later in verse 22. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Finally, when he's in Jerusalem, we read, So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. So do you get that? Do you see how coming to Christ, there is an immediate boldness in sharing his faith? If you were to point out to me um, that Paul was unique, I would grant you that. I would say, yep, he was unique. If you said to me, Jesus showed himself to Paul, visibly, audibly, chose him as his vessel to be the one who, who carried Christ's name to the, to the Gentiles, to really breach that and, and to go beyond. I would say, yeah, I, I agree with you. But we're not talking here about being an apostle. We're not talking here about being identical to Paul. We're saying, what's the trend that you see? And is that a trend that we ought to see in the Christian life? How many feel like that is a trend, that bold proclamation, that bold taking of a stand for Jesus? Or was that just for Paul? I remember many, many years ago, many, many isn't it funny how the older you get, you know, the longer you have to scroll to get back? I do remember many years ago at a revival service at my home church growing up, which was Methodist Church, and 
So uh, in that church, you could lose your salvation every Sunday and get it back the next Sunday. Kind of a, that was sort of the view that I was raised with. So I was going to the altar a lot. And there was this uh, evangelist that came, and I was going for the umpteenth time to get saved for the, you know, however many time I thought I was. Anyway, and I, and, and I went through the whole thing, and there were tears. And, 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 and afterward, he said, now, uh, within 24 hours, in fact, if you can do it before the sunset, all the better. I want you to share with someone that you became a Christian today and tell them, you know, that Christ saves. And, I, and, and you know... We look at that now and we go, well, that was a little bit of a cookie-cutter kind of approach there, and maybe, that's, uh, maybe the Bible doesn't come right out and say that when you become a Christian, within 24 hours, you have to share your faith. But you know there was some truth to it? There, I mean, there, there's an element of truth to that. Jesus said that if we're ashamed of him uh, before men, that, that he will be ashamed of us, that, that if we confess him, he will confess us. We are to confess our faith. And that can begin at baptism, probably before, but if you, if, let's say you're baptized shortly after you come to faith in Christ, then that's one of the first and most public proclamations a person can make, that I am with Christ. I, I'm, I am going through this, what looks like a humiliating process here of getting drenched in water um, in front of all of you people who can see it, and I'm professing that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. That, that's sort of the, one of the big beginning points where we make that public profession but it ought to continue, shouldn't it? Throughout the Christian life, that should be who we are. Peter puts it this way. He says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Now, of course, Peter was writing that to that little group of apostles, right? Sorry, I thought you'd know the answer to that. No, he was not writing that to the, he was writing it to the whole church, the whole church dispersed through the world. That, that would mean people like you and me, we're to be ready and bold. What trend do you see in your life? And I ask myself the same question, because you may think, well, because Pastor Jay gets up here and preaches on Sunday morning, that he just, he just leaves here preaching, you know, I, I hit the restaurants and they can't stand me anymore because I'm just, you know, no, it, no, I have to look at this too. We have to, are, am, am I excited about Jesus? Paul was excited. He couldn't help but share his faith. He, he, he was bold. We ought to see that growing boldness in our life. Part of why we need fellowship, by the way. So I'm going to keep coming back to that first point, that first trend of fellowship. How do we stay bold in our witness except by having the community of believers to strengthen us? Thirdly, you're going to be amazingly changed. How many feel amazingly changed today? Woohoo! Yeah, okay, hey, all right, very good. I see that. I see those two hands or two fists back there. Um, do you recall a recent story where the word amazed kept coming up in, in the book of Acts? I, back in, uh, in the thing with Philip at Samaria. Everybody was amazed. Everybody was amazed. They were amazed at, at, at Simon the magician, but then Philip came along, and they were amazed at Philip, and, and Simon was amazed. You, you recall all that? There's a whole lot of amazing going on in the book of Luke. Look at verse 21. And all who heard him, this is those who heard Paul, were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priest? What was it that amazed them about Paul, a.k.a. Saul, or vice versa? What amazed them? 
Was it not the fact that he made this complete 180 turnaround just on a dime? Like, wait, I saw you last week. You were going your way up here to do that. And now all of a sudden, you're, you're heading exactly the opposite way. People, people can't fully grasp something like that. Reminds me of all those cop movies and cop shows you see. You know, the one where the, the good cop tries to, you know, play like a dirty cop and get in undercover with the, with the gangsters, and, and he has to go in, and they're like, ah, no, you're a goody two-shoes. There's no way you're going to, oh, yeah, and then he has to give this whole song and dance. Oh, yeah, well, then shoot Charlie. Okay. All right, I guess you are a dirty cop, and they let him in. You know that one? It's like in every cop show eventually. Sooner or later, if you get to the ninth season, somebody's uh, at some point doing that. But it's, it's that huge, unbelievable shift. People just don't accept it. They, don't, they, they can't comprehend it. Everyone felt that way about Paul. It started with Ananias. You remember him? Like, uh-uh, no, Lord, let me, let me set you straight here because you apparently didn't get the memo about who this guy is that you're telling me to go and, and, and preach and baptize. You, you, don't, you don't fathom it. And, and the same thing happened at Damascus. And then Paul goes to Jerusalem. And even the apostles, who were in, you know, they were in pretty close proximity to Jesus and pretty close contact through the Holy Spirit. They got a lot of words of, of clarity and wisdom and prophecy given to them. And yet, even when, even when they see Paul, they're like, uh-uh. It's just, no, it's, it's too fantastic. If it had not been for Barnabas, Paul would have still been, you know, on the outside looking through the pane glass at him. I was thinking about a story recently about a young man by the name of Mosab Hassan Youssef. I probably not pronounced that with the emphasis on the right syllable, but um, yeah, he was that son of the Hamas leader. The Ham- Hamas is a terrorist group in Palestine. He was that, that son of the leader that, uh, that became a Christian, and people were just amazed, like, how can that even happen? You go back to someone like John Newton. I was reminded this last week, Jeff, you reminded me of it, of John, and I couldn't remember his name at the time, but I looked it up. John Newton was the one that wrote Amazing Grace, and you've heard his transformation. He was a blasphemer. He was a, a, a blasphemer. He was a slave ship captain. He came to faith in Christ. He became a pastor. He wrote Amazing Grace. By the end of his life, he was working for the abolition of slavery. That's what Christ can do. He can completely and amazingly change us. Now, here's the question. Is that a trend that we should expect in every Christian life? And I believe the answer is yes. Now, you say, well, but I've been a Christian for a great, great many years, for decades, in fact. Okay, then then for you, things have probably been mostly kind of gradual with peaks and valleys and sometimes some major peaks and maybe some major valleys but but there's been a long slow obedience in the same direction as somebody i think eugene peterson put it that way but the but it but for the for you it might be look you know 20 years ago and see who was i then who am i now but there should be a trend of a change in our life You're going to go stronger. Number four there, you're going to grow stronger. Look back again at verse 22. It says, But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. And I know I mentioned that earlier, but we kind of were looking at the boldness of of Paul. I want you to just look at those words now where it talks about that he was um, growing stronger. What was he growing stronger in? 
Well, Luke doesn't just come right out and tell us, but we get the impression when it comes to Paul that it, that it was an, a strengthening in his conviction. And not only his conviction, but then with that, the, articul- the way he articulated it and was able to express it. But he was becoming this one-man sort of juggernaut as, as he went along. Another way of, uh, uh, or this could be a trend that a lot of people don't see as a trend in the Christian life for, for the rest of us. It's one of those things that we might miss, but consider, consider a few verses that would, would contradict that. Uh, Colossians 2, 6 and 7, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, now that's speaking of somebody becoming a Christian, correct? Received? Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. So there's a continuing journey, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So this is Paul writing this, Paul who went through that great transformation and strengthening, and he's saying to the regular Joe Christian on the street, look, this is how it should work. You're supposed to come to faith. You receive Christ by faith. You believe upon him, and then you you start the journey, and you're walking with him, and as you go, you're being rooted and established and strengthened in that. It's not just a singular journey, it's a corporate journey with it. So look at Ephesians 4 where it speaks there about the work of of leaders in the church and what they're supposed to be doing. It says there, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now he's talking to us collectively. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ Why? So that we can no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried away by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, this is long, but it's all all pertains. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So Paul is saying in Colossians, it sounds more the singular journey of, of how we, having received Christ, are going to grow up into him. But then in Ephesians, he kind of melds it together with the whole body of Christ and how that works together. Why? So that we can grow stronger, meaning maturity. The result of maturity is that we stand fast and we're no longer children. We're no longer like infants. We're no longer blown by every wind of false teaching and false doctrine and the like. So the trend of every believer is a growing, strengthening faith leading toward maturity where Christ is our foundation and Christ is our strength and we are able to stand. Amen? It seems to me like that should be a trend for every Christian. I visited an orchard. Uh, some of you know this because I had it on Facebook. I knew there was an orchard here somewhere. I had to put it on Facebook. Where's that orchard? So you go down 281, you turn like you're going to Quivera on where 19 is. You go east there about three miles. There's this dratch apple orchard. How many have been there? Oh, okay. Huh? Kind of a cool little place. I was talking to the, it didn't look like it was super old, like you didn't see really old apple trees the way you think of it. And so I asked the, the lady that I think was the owner, I said, so when did you guys do this? And she said, 2006. And then she told me, she said, and this is the first year that the trees have really hit that sort of you know, peak production. First, the first, re- so 15 years. 15 years to, to get to that point. The Christian life is a, like, is, is a lot like that. We're like saplings 
You don't like being called sheep? Imagine I go around and start calling you saplings. That sounds worse, doesn't it? How many have ever ordered a, a, a tree sapling from like a, a seed car, uh, catalog? Yeah, Tyler? I was shocked the first time I ordered one of these. And you, for those of you that have done this, you'll understand. Like I was expecting like these big balls of dirt and the, and the tree coming in. Like they'd pull them off of the UPS truck. Nope, nope. One day the doorbell rang. I went between the two doors. My three trees, they were in a bag about this thin. You could have put, you know, you would have been hard-pressed to get a, pit, a French loaf in there, you know, bread It was that, it was just this little thin thing, and, and I pull out my trees. They're sticks this long. Yeah, and they got your three little tiny roots, you know, going sideways off, and that's it. It's like, what on earth? How do they think, you know? And, and of course, you know what you do. You go out, you put it in the ground. And that's so analogous to the Christian life. We're, we're, we're young, we're small, when nothing's happening. We're, we're, we're planted in Christ. At first, we're just as bare as bare can be. Somebody has to come along, you know, fellow Christians, and stake us down to the ground because otherwise we're, you know, going to fall over under our own weight. And it takes how long before you start seeing leaves, a couple seasons, and you get maybe a, a bloom here and there, and eventually, like, oh, I've got one, one little tiny apple. And yeah, 15 years later, all of a sudden, you're part of this just abundant growth. That's the Christian life. But the trend, the trend is what we're talking about. Are we seeing that? Is there a strengthening? Is there health? Is there fruitfulness? We need to abide in Christ so that we might abound in fruitfulness. And again, take you back to that first trend. That doesn't happen in a vacuum. That does not happen apart from that work of the body. And then there's one last trend which we see here, and that is you will face persecution. Paul didn't wait very long to get into the whole persecution game, did he? In 11 verses, and admittedly, I do think that there's a number of years that are actually transpiring in these 11 verses, but in a fairly short period of time, there was not one but two full-blown murder plots to get rid of Paul. How crazy is that? Paul faces nearly the exact same scenario, and, and this would give you chills if, if you're Paul. Think, think of how close this was to what happened to Stephen. Where was Paul when it was happening to Stephen? Standing there giving approval. You'll recall when Stephen got into trouble, he was debating a certain group of Jews, the Hellenists. Remember them? And he kept just whomping them in every debate until they got so mad that they brought him before the council. That's when he ends up stoned. And what does it say here in verse 29? It says, And he, that's Paul now, spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. There they are. But they, big change of plans on their part, big strategy change, but they were seeking to kill him. Man, if you're Saul at that point, what are you thinking? Man, my days are numbered. Remember, now, and, and we don't know how like, explicit Jesus was because he said, I'll show him all that he's going to suffer for me. Like, I don't know if, did he give him like an itinerary and go, I mean, this day, they're going to try to, I don't think it was quite, but yeah, he's looking at this going, man, I'm in hot water here. Is it any wonder that Paul would say to the church at the conclusion of the first missionary journey, remember, he goes out, um, and, and they, and he and Barnabas, and, and, and they, that first missionary journey, they have all these churches planted, and then they come back through before they get back, uh, to, uh, and it says, 
Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. That was, that was sort of like that important message he had to drill home to them. Through many tribulations, we'll enter the kingdom of God. Or what does he say to Timothy? Near the very end of Paul's life, he writes to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And that will be an observable trend in the Christian life. Ask any genuine believer that you know where you go, that, that's a solid believer, I know they know Christ. Talk to them, ask them, have you ever, have you ever suffered for your faith? Now, if, it, if we mean by that, if they, has anybody stoned you? Well, probably not if you're living here in the United States. But, but there should be that trend that we will see that, that, that it is at a challenge to be in this world and to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Absolutely, that will be a trend. And uh, will, will we be like Paul? Will we be, will we be threatened with stoning? Perhaps not. Should we maybe... Look for more persecution? How many feel like that's a good, you know, I really want to know I'm a Christian, so maybe I'll go put myself in some really ridiculous situations and see if they kill me. How many are for that plan? No. You know how we know that's not a good plan? Because Paul doesn't do that, does he? Two times they plan to kill Paul. What does he do? He runs away like a little girl. That's looking at it from one perspective. I'm not saying he ran away like a little girl, but I'm saying he didn't stand there in those instances and say, yeah, bring it on, bring it on. I saw Stephen, I saw him do that. I'm going to stand here and do this. Nope, nope. Both cases, he saw it coming. He got away from there. But here's the thing. The trend will be there. Serving Christ, knowing Christ, being built up and established in Christ means that people will not always like you. And we all want to be liked. That's the dirty little secret. We all want people to, to like our posts and heart our posts and laugh at our posts on Facebook. And, and nobody likes to be unfriended. That's just, that's just the start. Of, that's just scratching the surface. Some employers won't hire you. Some people won't want to have anything to do you, with you. People will speak evil of you. You might have people that you think are really attractive and they would make a, a pers prospective spouse and you find out, you know what, they don't want to have anything to do with you because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Everyone who's been a Christian for any length of time will have that trend. Amen? And if there's never that trend, then maybe we're not sticking our neck out at all. Maybe we're not going back, to, maybe we're not boldly professing our faith. Conclusion here. So, uh, trends. Paul grew quickly into this force of nature. You see these five trends here that I think we can say which would be true of us or should be true of us, and that is you're going to want fellowship, you're going to profess your faith boldly, um, you're going to be amazingly changed by the work of God in you, you're going to get stronger, you're going to bear fruit, and yes, you're going to face persecution. The obvious question should be, what if I don't see those trends? What if I don't see those trends? And I know that for some of you, you're just being hard on yourself and those trends are there, but what, what if I'm just really straining to see where these trends stack up in my life? Well, you could just go try harder, but there's a problem with that because chances are, if you're not seeing those trends, it's because you've been trying, but you've been trying in your own strength. Do you know where the secret of the vitality that we see in Paul came from? 
It was that he knew Christ Jesus as Lord. He knew the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ and, and, and being absolutely connected and rooted in him. So if you're not seeing the trends, my first thought would be, hey, go back to square one. Go back, go back to first principles and, and make sure that you've genuinely and truly trusted Christ and that you and that you seek the change there, that you seek that, that, you seek that relationship first. Again, when we talk about bearing fruit for Christ, for, for his glory and our joy, it only comes when we are in that abiding relationship. That's where growth comes from. And it doesn't happen in a vacuum, as I said earlier. So if you're, if you're truly seeking Christ, if you truly want to, to see these things in your life and, and have the confirmation that those trends actually bring, then... You cannot do it alone. You need the people of God. That's, you know, Paul's, that, that long passage, you're like, why is he reading all these verses? He's reading like the whole chapter here or something. It's because that's how much is devoted to that idea that we need the one another. We need the body of Christ in order to be built up and strengthened in our faith. If you're not a believer, of course, none of this really applies to you. <laughs> well, at least not directly. This is a sermon for the church. This is about those who claim to know Christ and, and should see these trends. You wouldn't see the trend if you're not in Christ. Why would you? So what we would say to you is come to Christ. Come to Jesus Christ. There is, there is life and there is wholeness and there is joy in knowing him. And then coming to know him through faith in him, then you'll see these things start to emerge. And, uh, and as a church, we would like to be there as sort of that orchard or vineyard, if you like. We are many branches established in the vine, and we would just want to include you in that and help you grow in him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that, uh, that you came and gave your life as a, as a, a sacrifice for our sin and that through you, we have access into the relationship with the Father by way of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And now, Lord, we, we really earnestly simply desire to see the evidence of that. And, and we want to see these kinds of trends that we talked about today. And Lord, where we have, where we have fallen too much in love with the world, where we have avoided fellowship, Lord, or avoided standing boldly for you, I pray that you would correct us. And, uh, and draw us back uh, where we belong, back to the body, back to first things, and that we would seek that, that fruit and that fruitfulness in relationship with you, not in our own strength, not by our own doing, Lord, but by your work in us. And we will give you all the praise and all the glory for that in Jesus' name. Amen.